top of 8a, five lines from the top, Amr Abaya. Abaya says, Zarek Kaveras Loshasaravan. If someone throws a like a big basket or um, like this big round basket, that's you'll see exactly how big it is and how that actually affects the halachic status. If someone throws this into the public domain, let's say it is 10 tfachim high, but it is not six tfachim diameter, right? I'm sorry, circumference, right? So chayev, then he has to bring a carbon. He's liable to bring a carbon for having done this act. However, if it does have a six tfach circumference, potter, he is exempt. What's the difference between a six tefach circumference and a and less than a six tefach? So it's like this. If you have an item that is exactly 10 tefachim high and is also four tefachim wide, then it, is, it itself will become a its own domain, right? It will be a reshosayachid. It will take on the status of being a private domain. Now, if you throw that a private domain, the Rashi explains that in the Mishkan, right, which is the, the paradigm for all of the malachas that we do on Shabbos, the, in the Mishkan, they never threw a private domain in and of itself. What they would do is they would throw a needle. Some person was sewing, and they would throw a needle to the person sitting next to them. That was the typical way in which they would throw things in the Mishkan, in, in the preparation for the Mishkan. So to throw a basket that might be its own private domain, that's not going to be similar to the way in which the Malachah was done in the Mishkan, and therefore it's not a problem. Now, the way we know that the, the way that Chazal taught us pi, the way their, their concept of pi, they didn't say it 3.1, whatever, whatever, whatever. They said 1 to 1.25. So essentially what they said is that if you have something that is six, six um, circumference, then that means that the diameter is, I mean, really four, but you don't really need four. You really need less than four. I mean, you need exactly four, but it really be a little bit, a little bit um, let me think, if it's six circumference, then the diameter is really more than four. And Rashi explains that it is really more than four, but they were being, they were being machmer, they were being stringent and saying, until you get to six circumference, then you still have not yet reached the level at which the diameter is four. And when the diameter is four, which we reach at circumference six, and the height is 10, then there's no issue at all. Because then you threw something that itself is a domain and is not similar to, not similar to the throwing that was done in the Mishkan. Rav Amar, Rav says, Rav says, even if it is not, six circumference, you're still exempt. You're still exempt even though you haven't thrown a domain. So what's going on here? My time, what's the reason? He says like this, he says that there's no such thing as such a neat basket that there's no like reeds that are sticking up on the top of the, on top of the, um, the, the basket itself. And since there are reeds that are sticking up, once you get higher than 10, even if the circumference is not four, it already becomes a private domain always. And that has to do with what we're about to see right now. He says like this. Kafa um, alpia. Let's say you turn the basket upside down. So the bottom is facing down, then the opening is facing down. Shiva umashahu chayev. If the basket is exactly seven and a tiny bit, then you are liable for throwing that when it landed on the ground. Shiva umechza pater. However, if it's seven and a half height, then you are exempt from bringing a carbon when you throw it and it lands face down. Why is that? So Rashi explains a really interesting idea. So this is based on the concept of lovud, right? So we discussed lovud in the past. Lovud is that we look at the area in between. If one area is three, less than three tefachim away from another area, we look at that area, that space, as if it's closed up in between. It says like this. If you throw an item that is seven and a half tefachim tall, right, into the public domain, and it's open on the bottom, 
So when that item reaches within three tefachim of the ground, what's going to happen to it? Where's the top of that item going to be located? It'll be located more than 10 tefachim over the ground. Now, it's an important principle in the laws of, of um, throwing stuff in the public domain that Rashi helps us out here and, and explains to us, which is that when you talk about throwing something in the public domain, every bit of that item has to be less than 10 tefachim off the ground. If part of the item is more than 10 tefachim off the ground, it's not considered like you really put something into the public domain because part of it's still in the private domain, which is 10 tefachim off the ground in the public domain. So if you have an item that is seven and a half tefachim long, then by definition, as soon as it reaches within three tefachim of the ground, it's already, it's still more than 10 tefachim, the top of it is more than 10 tefachim off the ground. And therefore it's considered like I placed it in the public domain because it's considered attached to the ground already because of the concept of lavut. However, since the top of it is more than 10 tefachim off the ground, I will not be liable for this action on Shabbos. That is what the Gemara says. Ravashi, and Ravashi says, Ravashi says, even if it is seven and a half tall, you're still liable to bring a carbon. Why? My time, what's the reason? Ravashi says, we don't say love it in these circumstances. We only say love it where the, where the mechitzas are made to sort of block off an area, one area from the other area, then we say love it. But these things are not made to block off the area. They're just made to protect whatever's inside of the basket. Therefore, we don't have a concept of love it. I don't normally ask this question, but there's already... Does anybody have any issues with what I just said? Did everybody understand what I just said? If anybody didn't, I could try to say it again. Because it was a little complicated. Okay, I'm assuming that means everybody got it. Or everybody's too embarrassed to say they didn't get it. That works for me too. Amr Ula. Ula says, If you have a pillar that is nine tefachim high in the public domain, and what happens is when you have this pillar at nine tefachim high, which is about 36 inches high, people actually use it sometimes. They'll offload whatever it is that they're carrying. They'll stick it down on that, on that um, pillar and they'll let it rest there for a little bit. And then afterwards, they will take the item back up. So it's regularly used by people in the public domain as a storage spot for a, for a moment or so. Now, Mazarek bin Nachal Gabov. Somebody throws something in the public domain for Amas total. And where does it land? It lands directly on top of that nine tefach tall, the 36 inch tall pillar. Chayev, <coughs> you're liable to bring a carbon. My time, what's the reason? If you have an item that is within three tefachim of the ground, then people step on that item and it's considered as if it's the regular public domain. Some, an item which is between three tefachim, 12 inches, and 36 inches off the ground, it's too tall for people to just use as regular stepping ground. So they don't actually use it for stepping on it. And they also don't use it to offload an item on it. Why? Because it's not tall enough that it will be convenient for people to use it to offload an item. However, if you have an item that is exactly nine tefachim tall, then that actually is an item that people will actually use to offload as a convenient little um, area to use. And therefore, it will take on the same status as the public domain. And therefore, if someone throws an item and it lands on top of a nine tefach tall thing in the public domain, then they will be liable to bring a carbon. What about if you have a, a ditch or a pit that is exactly nine tefachim underneath the ground in the public domain? Is that also something that people use for storage? And does that also then take on the same status as the public domain? Amrale says, He says the same halacha is by guma. That's what Yosef says. Rav says, Rav says that in, in the, if you, a pit that's nine tefachim low underneath the ground, that does not take on the same status as the public domain. My time, what's the reason? He says, this type of tashmish, the, the, the usage of a pit 
that's nine tvachim under the ground is not nearly as convenient as the usage of a pillar that is exactly nine tvachim on top of the ground. And therefore, it could be used, but it's not used as normally. Since it's not used as normally, it will not take on the same status as, um, as a subsidiary to the, to the public domain, which will then give it the status of public domain, in which case, in which case one will be liable for placing an item from the throwing an item in the public domain for Amos, the six, six um, feet that lands in that pit. Right, so we see Machlekas here between Rava and Rav Yasef about that question. Go ahead. Okay, so Esve Rav Ada Bar Masna Lurava. So Rav Ada Bar Masna asked the question to Rava. Let's say you have a basket in the Rosh Hashanah that is 10 Tvachim high, and it is 4 Tvachim wide. You are not permitted to take from the Rosh Hashanah to it, and not from it to the Rosh Hashanah. However, if it is less than, if it's less than 10 Tvachim off the ground, you are permitted to take from there, and vice versa. And so too when it comes to a pit. So let's speak this out. So if you have an item that is 10 tfachim high, 4 tfachim wide in the public domain, the halacha is that that then becomes a rishus hayachet, a private domain. And so too, if you have a pit dug in the public domain that is 10 tfachim beneath ground and 4 tfachim wide, then that also becomes the private domain. So therefore, you're not permitted to take from it to the public domain or from the public domain to it, because that would be a transfer of domains from public to private or vice versa. Now, let's say it is less than that. Then it says you could take. This is less than 10 tfachim off the ground, permitted to do so. Less than 10 tfachim deep in the ground, you're permitted to do so. What is the Gemara? The Gemara thinks to say that my love, what is this coming to teach us when we say that the pit has the same status as the pillar? Asefa must be coming to teach us about the end of that Mishnah. In other words, that if you have a pit that is less than 10 tfachim off the ground, you are permitted to take from the public domain to it and from the and from the public and from the pit to the public domain. Now, we said that about the guma, about the pit. So it seems to be telling us that you are permitted to take from the, from the pit that is less than 10 tfachim beneath the ground, even if that pit is exactly 9 tfachim beneath the ground, it is still considered to be the public domain. So we see from here, not like Rava. Rava said that the pit that is 9 tfachim beneath ground, people don't really use. So it's not really a public domain. It's a karmelis. It's an intermediate domain. But the Gemara says, we see from this price explicitly, that you are permitted to take from a public domain into a pit that is nine tfachim beneath the ground. The only way you'd be permitted to take must be because that, that pit actually has the same halachic status as the public domain. It seems not to be like Rabbah. Where it says, when it says that and so too by a pit, it did not mean to say that so too by a pit that you're permitted to take from an item from a, public dom- from a pit in the public domain that is nine tfachim beneath ground. You're not permitted indeed. According to Rabbah, you're definitely not permitted. All it means to say is that if you have a pit that is 10 tfachim deep and 4 tfachim wide, it has the halachic status of the private domain and not of the public domain. That's all we mean to say. Okay, so we, we dealt with that question. Now we're going to have another question. Turning the page now. Eisvei. New question. If someone intended to make his Shabbos domain in the public domain. So let, let's discuss what we're talking about over here. We're talking about a guy who is outside of the tchum. He's outside of the boundaries of the city. Now the halach is once you're outside of the boundaries of a city, you have... 2,000 amas in any direction. 2,000 amas, like we said before, is about 3,000 feet. So you have 3,000 feet that you can walk in any direction. You're not permitted to walk any further. Now, there's an interesting halacha that the Gemara tells us that if one makes an Erev Tuchumen, an Erev Tuchumen basically is a way of st- stating that my place that I will be on Shabbos is not where I am necessarily. It's where this 
item of food is, right? So the guy says, I'm going to put the food down, let's say 2,000 amas away from me. Then I actually have like a booster and I'm able to go 2,000 amas plus 2,000 amas in that direction, 2,000 amas past where that food is. Because that food takes on my de facto location when Shabbos begins, right? Because wherever you are, being a shmash's time, when at twilight zone, that's when you have 2,000 amas in any direction. So now that you put the food and said that I'm not, where I am right now is not my real place. Where my real place is where the food is. Now you've redefined your location and therefore you can follow that to wherever the 2,000 amas past the food. So let's say you decided you're, Shabbos is about to come in and you're in a public domain right now. So you say, okay, I'm going to sit down right here, but I'm going to put the Heniach Eruvay Bebar. So then he puts his Eruv, this food item, in a bar, in a pit. So the, it's a little bit not so clear what's talking about over here, and the Gemara is going to get into this. If it's more than 10 Tzvachim, then it is considered to be a good Eruv. If it's less than 10 Tzvachim, it is not considered to be a good Eruv. The Gemara is going to get into what we're talking about here. One more important principle that I have to tell you is that when it comes to your Eruv, you have to have the ability to actually take the item out of the place where it is located. So if you're in the public domain, and the item is located in a private domain, you wouldn't be permitted to actually get your food item out on Shabbos because you wouldn't be permitted to transfer the food item from the private domain to the public domain. And therefore, it would not have any, it wouldn't help you at all to change your halakhic status to the location of where the food is. So what we're saying over here is like this. If you put the food, you're in the public domain and you put the food in a pit, if it's more than 10 tfachim, it's a good Erev. If it's less than 10 tfachim, it's not a good Erev. What does this mean? Hey, Chidami, what's the case? If we're talking about a pit that has 10 tfachim in it, the pit itself is more than 10 tfachim deep. And when we talk about the pit using higher than 10 tfachim, what we mean to say is that higher than 10 tfachim, you put it in less than 10 tfachim away from you. In other words, from the point in the pit where it's closer than 10 tfachim to the public domain. And when we talk about lamata, lower than 10 tfachim, what we mean to say is really that you put it more than 10 tfachim away from the from the public domain. And that's what the Gemara means. The pit itself is 15 tfachim deep. If you put the item from 10 tfachim and up, then you're permitted to actually take it out. If you put the pit, if you put the food from 10 tfachim and below, then you're not permitted to take it out. The Gemara says, what are you talking about? What's the difference if it's below 10 or above 10? If the pit itself is considered is a pit that is more than 10 tfachim deep, it doesn't make a difference where the item is located. The item is in the private domain. If the item is in a pit that is more than 10 tfachim deep, by definition, the item is in a private domain. It doesn't make a difference which part of the pit it's in, no matter what, it's in the public domain, I'm sorry, private domain, and you are in the public domain. So that can't be the case. The case must be like this. It was talking about a pit that did not have 10 tfachim depth at all. And it tells us that the Eruv is a good Eruv. So it says that the pit is a good Erev, and it says as long as it's less than 10, implication is even if it's at exactly 9. Now, we just said earlier, Rava said that when you have an item in a pit that is exactly a 9 Tfachim deep, Rava says that it's not considered to be Tashmish of the public domain. It's something that is used by the public domain. Because something that is only used in times of, uh, where you don't have any other choice, it's not really considered to be a public usage of the 9 Tfachim deep. But over here we see that as long as the pit is less than 10 tfachim deep total, then it's considered to be okay. It's considered to be the public domain. So what's going on over here? It seems to imply that even if it's at 9 tfachim, it is something that is used by the, by the public domain to the extent that it is considered the same domain as in being in the actual public domain. So that, that's a question on Rabba, right? So Zimna Mashani, sometimes Rabba would answer one way. 
And he would say like this, Huve Ruve Becarmelis, the entire case is not talking about where you're actually in the public domain. The language said public domain. What it really meant is you sat down on Shabbos in a Carmelis, in the intermediate domain. And therefore, the pit itself is an intermediate domain because the pit itself is less than 10 Sachem deep. It's intermediate domain, but that's okay. Because if you're both in intermediate domain, you're allowed to take from the pit, which is an intermediate domain, to you, which is an intermediate domain, and you're allowed to pick up the food and hand it to yourself, in which case you're okay. The Gemara then asks, am I carry the Rishos So then why do we call this the Rishos The Bryce doesn't say it's your Nakamas. The Bryce says if someone is, sits, want, wants to make his place of dwelling in the public domain on Shabbos, the answer is, it just meant to say, not really Rishos It just meant to say it's not the private domain. But indeed, it is still a Karmas. That's one answer that Rabbi would give. Sometimes we give a different answer. One time he would say, ultimately, he is in the Taka, the Mishnah is meant to be understood literally. And it's talking about where you are sitting in the public domain. The Eruvai, but his Eruv, the food item that is supposed to be defining his location, is currently present in a Karmelis, in an intermediate domain. Okay, how do you take from a Karmelis to a Rishos You're forbidden to do so on Shabbos, at least on a rabbinic level. Our answers, Rabbi would say, Oh, Rebbe, he, this is going according to the position of Rebbe. Why? Rebbe's position is that anything that is only a rabbinic prohibition, there was no prohibition, there was no enactment against that, time in twilight zone. Now, when, does, when do we decide your location on Shabbos? During twilight zone. So during twilight zone, you have to be able to take the item out of wherever it is located currently and be able to eat it. And all it has to be is that you have to have the ability to do so during twilight zone. Well, the answer is, according to Rebbe, you do have the ability to do so. Because if you are in the public domain and your food is in an in a intermediate domain, it's only forbidden on a rabbinic level to remove the food from the pit and eat it. And therefore, that's not a problem during banish mushes, because during banish mushes, we aren't concerned for for uh, rabbinic prohibitions. And therefore, Benishmashis, you're permitted to take the food out, and that will now redefine your location for the entire Shabbos. And Rabbi would say, don't tell me that I'm just trying to push you off. I'm, I'm certain that this is actually the right halacha, that if it's nine tfachim deep exactly, and it's something that is just used for convenience sake, for sometimes people will put items there, that does not get redefined as the public domain, because it is not so usual for people to use it, and therefore it does not get redefined as the public domain. How do I know that this is true? The Tanan, we learned in the Mishnah. Let's say there is some sort of ditch of water. And the public, it's a public thoroughfare that people sometimes use that ditch when they're walking through the public domain. So someone throws within it four amas, you're liable to bring a carbon. So clearly that's Rosh Hashanah Rabbim. This Rakak Mayim, this ditch of water, it is less than 10 Tfachim off, deeper than the ground. And then it continues and tells us, and if you have a ditch in the public domain that people are walking through it, then if someone throws within it four amas chayev. So it, it seems very redundant. So Rav is going to analyze this mission and explain how this mission really supports his position that an item in the public domain, a place in the public domain that is nine fachim below the, the regular ground in the public domain and is used occasionally for people to store items is, does not then take on the status of public domain. What's his proof? It says like this. The fact that it said the case of a ditch two different times. We're trying to teach you. One case is talking about where that both if it's in the winter months, the public domain will end up using the ditch as part of the thoroughfare. And both when it's in the summer months, the public domain will end up using this domain. The, the public will use this um, thor- will use the ditch as part of their regular thoroughfare. But Sricha, I need both of these cases. If we would have said this case only in the 
If I would have only said it once, I might have said, you know what, maybe it's only during the summer months that people will actually use this ditch of water as a part of their thoroughfare. Davidi inish le because people want to walk through this ditch, even though there's water in it, because it's very hot, and therefore they're willing to walk through it to cool themselves down. I would have said, if it only said rakak once, I would have said, okay, only during the summer months it's permitted, not permitted, but we call that the public domain, because people will use it regularly. But during the winter months, during the rainy months, people are not don't need to go in there to cool down because it's cold. So therefore, they're not going to be using it regularly and therefore, it wouldn't take on the status of public domain. Therefore, we said rakak twice. Let's say I would have said, oh, well, maybe I would have said explicitly, we're talking about a rakak in the rainy months. So then maybe if I would have said a rakak in the rainy months, I would have been enough information. I would have known, well, if even in the rainy months, when people don't want to use it for purposes of cooling themselves down, it takes on the status of public domain. So then for sure, in the summer months where people do want to use it to cool themselves down, it should take on that status. So why wouldn't that be enough information if we just said, we're talking about a rakak in the rainy months and it still takes on the status of public domain? Well, then for sure, a rakak in the summer months takes on the status of public domain. So why would that have not been enough? I give the metanif mikri benachas. It could be that in the rainy months, people use it because they're all dirty and muddy from whatever the regular ground looks like right then. So they might want to walk through it to clean themselves off. Maybe during the summer months, you're not dirty. The, the ground is dry. So therefore, since we might have thought that in the summer months, you would not normally have used it. Therefore, we needed to say Rakak twice to teach you that both in the summer months and the winter months, it is used regularly. And therefore, it takes on the status of public domain. Now, what do we see over here? Which case are we talking about? The only thing that we're talking about is a Rakak that people are using to walk through. So I'm sorry, why do they need to say that they walk through it twice? Why can't I just say once? Talk about the fact that summer months, winter months, people walk through. Okay, that's all I need to say. Why do I need to say, and they walk through it twice? What's it coming to add on by saying they walk through it in two different ways? So we see from here is that when people use it to walk through, even though it's not typical to walk through it, but they still walk through it somewhat regularly, then that ends up becoming a place that is considered to be the public thoroughfare because it's available for everybody to walk through and people do walk through it sometimes. However, it's specifically when it comes to actually walking that it takes on the same status as the ground above it. But when it comes to the tashmish, when it comes to placing an item down on the ground, and people sometimes place the item down on the ground that's nine fucking below them, sometimes they don't. Most of the time they don't. That does not take on the status. So what Rebbe tells us is this Mishnah is coming to teach us a halacha like this, that it is solely when people use a, in a, a ditch that is up to nine fachim below, or little, I'm sorry, up to 10 fachim below the public domain, and they use that regularly, that, that ends up taking on the halacha status of the actual public domain. But if they only use it for the purposes of sometimes storing things there, then that does not take on the status of the public domain. Amr of Yehuda, of Yehuda says, Hi, Zirza de Kani, Rama Vazakfe, Rama Vazakfe. You have some sort of um, item made out of reeds, and it's like sitting in the public domain, and you have it down on the ground. It's a large item. You have it down on the ground, and you're figuring out how to transport it. You know, can't pick it up, it's too bulky. So, what you do is you pick up one end, and you turn it over, and then you pick up the other end, and you turn it over, and you keep on doing so. But at no point is the entire uh, item actually off of the ground. So you're not going to have to, you're not liable to bring a carbon until you actually lift the entire item off the ground at once. Omar Mar, Mar says, Now we're going back to the earlier brisa that we discussed uh, a couple of blot ago, in which we talked about the case of someone who is standing on the threshold of the house that he's permitted to take from the owner of the house, and he's also permitted to take from the ani, from the outside of the house, and give it back to each of them, not permitted to give it back 
not permitted to switch from one domain to the other, but permitted to take from one domain, give it back, take from the other domain and give it back. So it said, take from the owner of the house and give it back to him. Take from the poor person and give it back to him. What's the case of this threshold? If we're talking about an escufa, that itself is a escufa, which is a public domain type of escufa. How would you be permitted to take from the owner of the house? You'd be taking from the private domain to the public domain. Must be talking about a case where it was an escufa that has the halachic status of Rishos HaYachet. In other words, the escufa is ten tefachim tall and four tefachim wide. Therefore, it's the halachic status of Rishos HaYachet. Then, how can you be permitted to take from the ani, from the poor person? You would be taking from the public domain, the ani, to the Rishos HaYachet. The person standing on the escufa is currently in private domain because he's standing on the escufa that is ten tefachim tall, four tefachim wide. So, which way is it? Is it is the escupa itself in the status of public domain? It would only be permitted to take from the ani. If the escupa is in the status of private domain, it would only be permitted to take from the owner of the house. How do you have this state where it's able to take from both of them? Elaskufa's carmelis. Neutil venesin. So the Gemara says, we must be talking about a case over here where it's in a scufa that's a carmelis. So it's, let's say, um, nine tfachim tall and four tfachim wide. And the Gemara says, neutil venesin l'chatchila, seif seif yisura miyeisa. That's not going to work because it sounds like from the b'risa that you're actually permitted to take it Ideally, if someone said halachically, am I permitted to take it? The answer is yes. But if it's really a karmelist, are you actually permitted to take from private domain to karmelist? You're not permitted to, you're just put or you're exempt for having done so afterwards. Are you permitted to take from the public domain to the karmelist? No, you're not permitted to, you're just exempt if you do so. So you can't be talking about in a scoop that's a karmelist that wouldn't solve the problem. The Bryce says explicitly you are permitted to do so ideally. So the Gemara says, We're talking about a case where the escufa actually has a lach status of a makabatur, of the neutral zone. What's the case? Why does the escufa have the status of a neutral zone that therefore is permitted to take from public domain to the neutral zone, private domain to the neutral zone? What's the shot? It is not four by four, but it is higher than ten tfachim. Right, so if it would be four by four higher than ten, it would have taken on the status of private domain. But if it's higher than... 10, but less than four by four wide, then it is not a public domain, it's not a private domain, it's not a caramelist, it is a makam kator, a exempt status. And that which, like, like you see, that which Rabdimi said in the name of Rabbiyechanan, a place that does not have four by four tfachim is permitted for the people of the public domain and permitted for the people of the private domain to place the item down over there. As long as they don't actually exchange the item from the public domain to the private domain. And so to be fine, that as long as you don't take from the poor person and give it to the rich person, and from the rich person give it to the poor person, through using this makam patur in between. However, if you take from the poor person who's in the public domain, hand it on to the makam patur, the exempt domain, and then have the rich person actually take it from there, that is actually exempt. On the Raisa level, it's actually permitted to do so. On the Raisa level, be permitted to take public domain, private domain. But on a rabbinic level, it's not permitted. So the Gemara says, let's say that this is a this, this, take, this whole idea that if you have a makapatur in between, you actually are exempt on a Raisa level, on a Torah level from having to bring a carbon. Because since it went from status from public domain to exempt domain, to private domain, on a derisa level, on a Torah level, it's permitted to do so, and only forbidden on a rabbinic level. So the Gemara says, if that's true, then this 
takes Rava's position and throws it out the window. What did Rava say? If someone picks up an item in one place in the public domain and actually takes it four amas away in the public domain, but what does he do? Even though what he's doing that, he actually moves it over his head, over his body, right? If he's still liable to bring a carbon. The Gemara is asking like this. When you move it over your body, your body is an item that is less, it's higher than 10 tfachim, but it's not 4 tfachim wide. And therefore, what should its status be? Your body's status should be makim patur, exempt status. So Rava says that even though you moved it over an exempt status, you're still liable to bring a carbon on it. The rice level is still forbidden. So Gemara says, one second, we just got finished telling you in this brisa that taking an item from the public domain, putting it down in the exempt zone, transferring from the exempt zone to the private domain, exempt on a Torah level for bringing a carbon. Only on a rabbinic level, still forbidden to be done. But Rava says that even if you pass an item over your head, you're still liable to bring a carbon. Why are you still liable to bring a carbon? It should be the same halacha. Gemara says, Hasam nach, hacha nach. In Rava's case, it never actually landed on your head. It just passed over your head, just passed over your body. But in the case that Bryce is talking about, over there, what happened is you actually placed it down in the private domain. And when you place it down in the private domain, then that causes its halachic status to change and becomes permitted to, and over there, it does become permitted to, to actually not, once again, not on a rabbinic level, but on a derice level, on a Torah level, it actually is permitted to to do so even the chathila, and therefore you would be exempt from being in a carbon in that case. So in general, I, I uh, had this idea really on Thursday, I was thinking to myself that I'm busy getting inundated with everything. You know, people are emailing every single WhatsApp group that I'm part of, it's all coronavirus all day long, right? So, and you're getting hit with so many different messages and you're thinking to yourself, how am I gonna protect my family? How am I gonna protect myself, protect the people around me? And you, you start activating your fight or flight reflexes. And the problem is we just don't know what to do. And it's uncertainty. And you don't know what this item, you can't see this. You can't recognize the enemy, right? So it, you, you're causing yourself to actually, your stress levels are going up on a daily basis and just going up, 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 up. And I realized, you know what? This is not healthy at all because it doesn't really make a difference. I could think about what's going to happen two weeks from now, but it doesn't really make a difference if I think about it now. I could think about it when it actually comes to, comes to take place comes to take place because there's not going to be any difference if I think about it right now. So I was thinking to myself that something that I've gone to in the past is this book called Emunah Bitachan, Faith and, and Trust by the Chazonish that was written in the, it's actually taken from his notes. He died in 1953. So he wrote this, you know, sometime in the early 1900s in which he really talks about what the definition is of Jewish faith, of Jewish trust in God. What exactly does that mean in terms of the breakdown between, let's say, our hishtadlis, what we're supposed to do, the effort we're supposed to put in, and the ability, or not ability, but the fact that we also believe in divine providence. And what's the breakdown in terms of what we should be doing and what we should just say, it's up to God to take care of me. So I decided I wanted to do that. And then I thought, you know, maybe we could open this up to other people and it could help other people. But not just that. It's also in a time like this when we're taking away community and people are no longer going to be getting together on Shabbos. And probably not getting together on the weekdays and show, right? That's a big part of, of uh, what we have is, is uh, getting together with other people. And we're not going to have that anymore. And we're looking at other people as the enemy now. We're looking at, you see someone in the street and you're like, uh-oh, I better stay six feet away from him. You never know what might happen if I get within six feet of him. And I think it's important to come together, have a sense of community. And if that sense of community can be over virtual learning, that, that could be amazing. You know, that could be really great and, and uh, help, help bring about the refuah, you know, the, the cure for this. 
So before we start that safer, which I, I intend to start tomorrow night, I just want to say a couple of thoughts over, over Shabbos that I, I was thinking about on Shabbos. Uh, one thought I actually heard on Friday from Rabbi Pupko in Montreal. He had a beautiful idea. Today's Torah portion, the additional Torah portion that we would have read if we were in Shul, and the Mafir is um, Para, Parshas Para. So Parshas Para, the reason why we read it right now is because at this time of year, we are coming up towards bringing the carbon Pesach if we were living in Yerushalayim. And what would then be happening around now is people who were became ritually impure due to having uh, Tumas Mace, due to having contact with a dead body, would need to have the ashes of the Paraduma, of the red heifer, in some water sprinkled on them so that they could be ritually pure by the time it came to the carbon Pesach. So we read it traditionally in the week before the, the Shabbos before the Shabbos, which is the last Shabbos of Adar, because the Shabbos, which is the last Shabbos of Adar, we read Chodesh, because Chodesh is the re- one that we read right before Rosh Chodesh Nisan, but the one before that is Para. Now, the, when we read about the Para, the Para Duma, it says, This is the unknowable halacha of the Torah. And why is this the unknowable halacha of the Torah? So most of the commentators explain like this. The paradox of the Para Duma is, that people who are involved in the preparation of the paraduma, the red heifer, they become ritually impure. But yet, you take that ashes that have been prepared and you put it into the water with the hyssop and then you sprinkle it on the people who need to become ritually pure and it makes them ritually pure. So the very act that makes the person preparing it ritually impure makes the person you sprinkle it on ritually pure. It seems to be a paradox. And therefore, this is the unknowable part of the Torah that even King Solomon did not know how to explain what exactly the idea is over here. So Rabbi Popko Sr. had a beautiful thought. He said, crises bring out the best and the worst in people. The very same thing, some people will grow from it, and some people will rise to the occasion, and then other people are going to sink and will bring out the worst in humanity, and they'll be in a Lord of the Flies type situation where society is breaking down. And the question just is, how do we react to that? And I think the important thing to remember when we talk about reacting to that, is what's the Jewish perspective? What's the halachic perspective? And that can help all of us stay grounded and remember what we should be doing and what we should not be doing. Now, if anybody's been in the grocery store in the past couple of days, like you got the sense. There's a, people are like edgy. People are just not getting near each other and they're looking at each other and saying, oh, there's only a couple of items left of that item. He better not grab that before me. You know, I haven't seen it yet here, but I'm pretty sure it is happening elsewhere. People are grabbing for things on the shelf and grabbing it out of other people's cart or something like that. I was just in, um, in Trader Joe's this past week and the can section was empty. There was like nothing left in the can section. So for like one section, I had like 15 cans. So I go over there to see what, this, what these cans are. And I, I picked up an item and it was a can of um, jackfruit. I don't know what jackfruit is. So I was like looking at it, trying to figure out what it is. And like two other people walk into Trader Joe's and like they start taking jackfruit off the shelf. So I asked one of them who put it in her cart. I'm like, what do you do with jackfruit? And she's like, oh, I don't, I don't know what you do with jackfruit. I just saw other people taking the can. So I took it too right? People are just, they're panicking and they're panicking and they're only thinking of themselves. And when you're only thinking of yourselves and thinking of other people as the enemy, it's not a healthy attitude at all. So the question is, do we rise to the occasion? Do we think about other people or do we think only about ourselves? That, that to me is, is a very important question. And it's not just a question of a halachic perspective. When you begin this week's Torah portion, it's striking. If you read it at home today, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, when you take a census of the children of Israel, according to their numbers, every man shall give Hashem an atonement for his soul when counting them, so there will not be a plague among them when counting them. In other words, if Moshe 
counts B'nai Yisrael, one, two, three, four, five, there will be a plague. This plague is going to kill them. It's an illness that will spread and kill all of them. How do we atone for them? By giving a machzah shekel, by giving a half shekel to Moshe. Instead of counting by the names, he'll count by the number of half shekels that he has. And everyone asks, why does it have to be a half shekel? Why can't it be a whole shekel? Just let Moshe count a whole shekel for each person, right? How many whole shekels do we have? Okay, 600,000, that's how many people. Instead, it's half shekels and 300,000 plus whatever. And then he goes, okay, 300,000 plus, okay. That means that there is a total of 600,000 people. Why does it have to be a half shekel that each person gives? And almost the majority, not the almost majority, for sure the majority of commentators discuss the idea that what we're trying to represent here is that we are not whole without other people. And it's important that we each give a half shekel to recognize that it's only me together with my neighbor that we're a whole unit. It's only me together with other people that we're a whole unit. That if we're not able to give to others, we are lesser, we are diminished for that. I think that's a lesson, we could take that lesson. And that lesson is, think about other people. When you're in the store and there's four packs of toilet paper left and you wanna take all four of them, because who knows? And what's the point of leaving one on the shelf? You're only helping one other person. The answer is leave one on the shelf because you know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be thinking about someone else. When you think about someone else, that changes your entire perspective and not doesn't, doesn't just change your perspective in a halachic sense. I was reading some studies on Friday. There are famous studies that talk about what happens if you give someone $100, you give them two options. Either you take this $100, buy yourself a treat, or you take the $100, buy someone else a present. And the studies almost invariably show that it's actually more worthwhile if you buy someone else a present. It will give you more long-lasting pleasure to buy someone else something with that money than to actually just keep that for yourself. But it's not just that. I actually saw this when it comes to stress levels. If someone is stressed out and they have the ability to actually help someone else relieve their stress, their own stress levels go down. Their endorphins rise through helping someone else relieve their own stress. So I think one thing is important. We don't know what's going to happen, and that's why I want to read this safer starting tomorrow night in Munabitachan to figure out what should our attitudes be and how to get through this trying time. But one thing's important to remember is if we think about others, we will never lose out. And the more we think about others, the more we actually relieve our own stress. And this is literally what the Torah says. If you're taking a census and there's going to be a plague, how do you protect yourself from the plague? By thinking of the other person. That is how you protect yourself from the plague. So the more we think about the other person, you know someone's homebound and is you know, a widow, and there's no kids living at home, and is in their own house, and feeling older, and not necessarily comfortable leaving their house to go out at all. So they call them up, say, hey, is there a way I could go to the store and get you something to eat? That will make you feel so much more calm than scrolling through your Facebook feed again, and again, and again, to see what else is happening. And to me, I think that's, that's gonna be the best way that we get through this, is to remember, think about other people, think about how I can help other people, in a way that's safe, of course, but thinking about how to help other people, that will be by far more productive than anything else that we can do at this time. So um, hope everyone stays safe, and hope everyone you know, takes this to heart and, and really does think to themselves, is there anybody that I can help who's not comfortable leaving their house right now and can use some help, or maybe needs to go to the doctor and needs help getting there and can't get there the regular way, you know, something like that, thinking about how to help other people, that is the way to, to, to get through this, and hopefully we get through this soon, and hopefully things uh, clear up as quickly as possible. Take care, guys. I'm going to send out the recording on uh, whatever sort of um, whatever sort of venue I, uh, I, I shared the first information with. Take care. Good night.